Thank you, Silver. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Great to see you, man. Oh, what a great worship song to finish up worship to go right into our study today because it says Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Me, my children, my children's children, and their children, and then a thousand generations. And I hope that uh, today the Word of God inspires you through the Holy Spirit to, to realize that you can be that influence on a thousand generations and uh, just imagine a world where we're all that influence. And so today we're in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 17, picking up where we left off with Pastor Josiah last week. And in verse 17, we read, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here to share your word, Father, and I pray that it is you that speaks through me in your spirit and that your word hits the hearts and minds of everyone listening and watching today. And Father, I pray that, uh, I pray for the world around us, that you would fill our hearts with hope, that you would fill our hearts with, hearts with joy, and that uh, through all the angst and turmoil that surrounds us uh, almost in every season of life, you have shown us a way that there is a hope, there is a joy, there is a peace that is everlasting. And Father, you will make good from all that we see going on. And we trust you for that. And we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, why is it so important that we read the Bible? Because reading the Bible comes with a promise. If we look at um, Isaiah 55, 11, God says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so that's why in our teaching today, there's going to be a lot of God's word and a little bit of Mike's word, because there's a promise with his word. And so it's in his word that we can, we can rest and be assured. We are not a name it and claim it church. But we are a read it and claim it church. We are here to claim the promises of the Bible and live the life that's promised by God through his promises. We hold fast to the promise of God while the world and Satan try to tear these promises from us. But we're going to hold on and we're not going to loosen our grip on these promises. We are focusing on faith, family, and the future. Because in every season of life, we're always thinking about our faith, which could always be stronger, our family, which could always be closer, and our future, which could always be a little bit more sure. But God promises that all of those things are true with him. And so, as we're focusing on faith, uh, when we started in Hebrews 11, we learned what faith is. And in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
For by the elders obtained a good testimony, by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the words, the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. There's a lot there. But it reminds me to not hold on to what I think I understand, but to just keep holding on to my faith, which in a lot of ways is beyond my understanding. But God is able and God is in control, thankfully. And today we're visiting four generations of faith. The first four generations of the Jewish faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Have you experienced generational faith? Imagine for a minute, you're Abraham, the first generation of the Jewish faith. Think about not knowing where you're going but being confident you're going to get there. Not knowing how you're going to eat, but being confident that you're going to be fed. Not knowing how you're ever going to have a next generation, but being confident that you will. This is faith, and this is the faith of Abraham. Maybe you started to feel the weight as you considered walking in his shoes and the responsibility of a generation to come after you. When I was radically converted to a Jesus follower, I had an immense appreciation for the power of prayer. So I started to realize that there must have been providence. God's hand had to be on my life. And so all through the first 30 years without Jesus, I apparently had Jesus. I just wasn't aware of it. And so in that time, I kept thinking about who was praying for me. Somebody had to be praying for me. But as I did a roll call of prayer warriors throughout my family and my extended family, there were none. But my dad, my dad did give me 50 cents every single day, every Sunday, to go to church with the neighbors next door. And, and when they moved away, he gave me 50 cents to go with the neighbors across the street. And when they moved away, he gave me 50 cents to move, to go to church with the people down the other street. And so I went to church in my youth, and, and lo and behold, my dad was investing 50 cents a week in his eternity. Because after I got saved, at 30, long after his 50 cents ran out, he got saved two years later. And he went to meet the Lord that same year. And so we're always investing in the next generation. And sometimes we're literally investing in the generation behind us. And so I met my mom, my birth mom. Uh, most people don't realize, you know, feel funny when you meet your mom. But I met my mom this year in February. Uh, we call her Honey Mom. And uh, and so Honey Mom is, uh, gave birth to me 53 years ago. And we didn't meet in between. Matter of fact, she didn't really know who I was. She thought I was adopted by two Jewish attorneys and moved to Jacksonville, and, uh, which wasn't the case. And uh, I had no idea who she was. And so, but when I talked to her, I said, were you praying for me? Because somebody had to be praying for me. She said, I pray for you every single day. And I said, wow, I felt the power of your prayers even when I didn't even appreciate the power of prayer. And, and then she went on to tell me something more amazing, that when she gave birth to me, that she didn't have any drugs. She was in the middle of giving birth to a nine and a half pound baby boy. And all she could do was repeat the 23rd Psalm. All she could do was repeat the 23rd Psalm. So as I'm being born into this world, the first words I hear are, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a pretty good launch. And so, 
that's the way my generational faith started that I'm aware of so far, right? And I'm sure there's more. In Romans 10:17, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Our faith comes by hearing, and our hearing comes by the word of God. So it's not about us listening to other people share the Bible with us, which is important. But our faith grows when we are in the Bible. And when we are in the Bible, we get better at hearing. I went through a time in my life where I had a job I couldn't stand. And I asked God every single day if I could leave that job. I started out and I journaled his answers. And so, but what was really weird is I tried to tell people that story. They always wanted, well, when you read the Bible that day, what was the verse that told you no? It wasn't a verse that told me no. But in my reading of the Bible, I'd ask that question, and he clearly, I heard him say no. And then one day, I read in the Bible, and nowhere in there does it say, today's the day, Mike, yes. But in reading the Bible that day, I clearly heard God say yes. And to me, that's this verse. So then, as Mike had faith, his faith came by hearing. But his hearing of God saying yes or no in that day came from being in the word. I didn't read the specific word, but by being, by reading the word, I literally was able to hear God. It's a one-two punch, right? They go, they go together. And so, so as you're thinking about this, um, I'm thinking about, again, faith, family, and the future. And as I think about my family, I'm thinking about the next generation. And in my next generation, I used to lead a Bible study on Saturday mornings with a bunch of guys. But every once in a while, one of my daughters or my son would want to come with me because they'd get free pancakes. And so all they had to do was get up early. And so one day, only my middle daughter, Samantha, got up early. And so as she got up early, we're driving down the road. We get on to I-95, and I've got to go three exits on I-95. It's as I get on the on-ramp to I-95, I realize I am out of gas. But the car's still running. And I say, honey, we need to pray. And so she grabs the uh, little handle on the roof, and you just see her start praying. And then as we go a little bit further, I hear a little sputter in the engine. I go, honey, we need to pray harder. And then she grabbed it, and she scrunched her face. And she was, I looked at her, and physically she was praying hard. And then the car stalled as we were getting on the off-ramp. So now we're on the off-ramp, and I'm scanning and the particular exit we were getting off of, it's, it's at least a half a mile to a gas station. So it feels hopeless to me. And I look over at her, and she's praying. Her faith is alive and well. Mine is back on 95 somewhere. But as, as I'm looking around, I see nothing. But she's praying. I see nothing. And then I look at her, and then I look out my window, I'm not lying. 20 feet away is a road ranger and the driver is sleeping in the cab. Right there. I've looked around and there was nothing. And all I can tell you is my little girl squinting and praying and a road ranger appeared sleeping. And so I said, hey man, you got any gas? I woke him up. You know, he comes over. He fills up my car with gas. We drive to the Bible study. And in that day, I realized that I don't know if it happened before, but my faith didn't get us the Road Ranger. Her faith, the next generation, 
got the road ranger to show up. And I knew that for now on, she wasn't going to be worshiping daddy's God. She was going to be worshiping her God. And I thought, wow, the next generation, it's passing on. And so as we dig in, as we dig into the scripture today, we're going to see four of what we call the patriarchs of faith. And as we look at them, we're going to see that God makes promises. They struggle with it because God's not moving fast enough for their, for their speed. And so then they start to fight against and take things in their own hands. And then God delivers anyway. And we're going to see that process through all four of their lives as we look at this. And it says again in verse 17 in Hebrews 11, By faith, Abraham. If we go back into the book of Genesis, we'll see that Abraham left his home, left his family, no clear destination. He saw God give him a son when he was 99. And now, when he was tested, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, well, what do I do when my faith is tested? What do I do when my faith is tested? Where do I go? What do I look at? And so, as I, as I think about this, I realize that Abraham had to offer up his only son, Isaac. He waited 99 years to get Isaac. And in Genesis 22.2, it says, then he, then he said, God, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. He had to go offer up Isaac, he who had received the promise, offered up his only begotten son. What would you do if you waited a really long time for God to answer a prayer? And then after he answered the prayer, you had the answered prayer in your life for a little while, and then he took it away. Or he asked you to give it back. I can only imagine what was going on in Abraham's heart. I can only imagine just thinking through that. But then actually if you read through the through the this section of scripture, you'll see that Isaac starts to wonder, where's the lamb? Right? He's carrying the he's dad, I see the wood. Dad, I see the altar. I see the fire. But where's the offering? So Isaac's got some questions about his dad's faith too. Like, where are we going? And but his dad said, We're coming back. And so it says, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able. When you are faced with the impossible, what do you do? You've got to check your perspective. You need to wear your God goggles you, to see things from a heavenly perspective. You trust a good God. You trust your heavenly Father. And so as you put your God goggles on, you, you can see things differently. You start to see things in His perspective because your perspective is narrow. There's a word called myopic. It's like tunnel vision. You only see one thing. God sees everything. But he also sees what was, is, and will be. And we, can't, we, we can just see the one thing. Either it's happening bad or the good thing's not happening. And he's saying, like, try to take a look through my eyes. I'm doing something. One time I was driving down the road, and I was coming up behind the local bus, and it was about to stop. And me, I was ready to change lanes right away. I'm like, I'm in a hurry. I'm late. I get to change lanes now. I own the road. 
And then, as I looked at the bus coming to a complete stop, I felt God say to me, don't change lanes. I'm like, wait, I'm late. I'm going to step behind the bus. And he said to me, stay out of the way. I'm doing something, and you're not in it. I'm in the middle of everything in my life. What do you mean I'm not in this scene? And so it helped me realize again that this ain't my story. This is his story. And I get to play a role in it by the grace of God. But, and hopefully I'm playing a hero role of some kind, not a bad guy role. I don't want to be a villain in this scene. And so he says, stay out of the way. Guess what I did? I parked behind the bus for five minutes while the bus let everybody out. I think everybody in the population of Pompano Beach got on and off that bus. But I stayed out of the way. And God, I don't know what he did. I don't know what he was working on. But he said, you stay out of the way. You're not in this scene. And that was really, really powerful to understand there's something going on bigger than me. There's something, there's always something going on bigger than me because it's God. It's way bigger than me. And so as we, as we look in this concept of generational faith, we look into 2 Timothy 1, verse 5 and 7. When I call to remembrance, this is Paul speaking to his, to his mentee, Timothy, the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother two generations ago, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, the, the last generation, and I, Paul, sort of a spiritual father, in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. It's our faith that's going to get us through the season. It's our faith that's going to have us look different than other people. Not our fear. I, I, I've felt, I feel like... Uh, like it's so inappropriate to be happy right now. I felt like it's so inappropriate to enjoy the day. I have felt like uh, I am supposed to feel bad because I woke up today. And I promise you, I felt good today. No matter how they, I should feel, I felt great today waking up. I'm going to have a great day. And it's not because of the circumstances around me. But it's because of the God who's with me. And the spirit that is in me. Amen? And so we move on and we see that this practical, fearful life or we see this life filled with a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of sound mind. And so in that spirit, I choose to live today. And it's in that spirit I inspire you to live today. And so the Bible goes on in, in Hebrews to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him up in a figurative sense well the figurative sense is being a little baby boy being born of a 99 year old man and an 80 80 some odd year old woman right they're 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 perceived as dead as far as the childbearing age but isaac was already born to them so abraham thinking he came from us and now he's going to come back from the dead. No big deal. It's normal, right? For, for my, in my walk with God and this Isaac kid, coming back from the dead shouldn't be a big deal. But that's faith. That's faith obeying God that even though I don't see how it's going to work out, I know that God's going to work it out. And it doesn't matter whether I see it. It just matters that I trust him that he's going to do it. And so in 2 Corinthians, right, we learn about this this Jesus who went through a similar situation as Isaac, 
Except when he was brought to the altar as a sacrifice, what we refer to as the, what was the cross, he didn't get to come back home with his dad that day. He actually went to the cross and he literally died. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus. That's awesome. That is so awesome that I can be the righteousness of God through Jesus. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Jacob, Jacob was the supplanter, the replacement. God had promised Rebekah earlier in Genesis that Esau, the older, would be the servant to Jacob, the younger. Jesus supplanted the first covenant with a new covenant. Jesus brought the new covenant, which was the replacement for the old covenant. And we see this, that when God said to Rebekah, don't worry, Jacob's going to be the, 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 the leader and Esau's going to be the servant. But what did they do? They worried. They did all kinds of, they did all kinds of uh, lying and deceit and deception amongst the husband and the wife and the brothers. And the, They tried to, sh to make it happen. But here's the neat thing, is that no matter how they messed things up or tried to mess things up, a little while later, Jacob laid down his head on a rock in Bethel. And just before, he, as he fell asleep, he was able to see a ladder with angels going up and down into heaven. And he could see God standing behind the ladder in heaven. Just like God wanted him to be. But God in the middle of it said to Rebekah or Isaac or Esau or Jacob or all of them, get out of the way. I'm trying to do something but you people are getting in the way, right? But they're not changing. They're, they're, they're trying to do it in their own control. And I know we fall into that trap sometimes, but we need to trust God and let God be in control because then he can do the thing that he's going to make happen smoother and easier on us because as we see that it, these things always work out. He promised Rebecca. They went through a bunch of turmoil. And then Jacob's laying in Bethel, seeing in heaven anyway. It happened the way God said it would. And then Jacob went on to be the, become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so then we see, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph, and the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Well, Jacob is leaning on a staff, because he wrestled with God to receive a blessing. And he wrestled all night. He finally received the blessing before dawn. But in the wrestling, God just touched his hip. And Jacob walks with a limp, leaning on a staff for the rest of his life. Always remembering, always remembering that time with God. And he's remembering that time with God as he leans on that staff and he blesses the two sons of Joseph. But just like the generation that he was in, he blessed the younger to lead over the older. It passes on. And so then, by, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. He knew there was a promised land. 
He knew that Egypt that he was dying in was not in the promised land, but he knew he was going there. By faith, he knew that even his dead bones were going to go to the promised land, and he wanted to make sure of it. And so he said, hey, take me to this promised land that I've been promised, even though it's generations to come. I want to go, and we know that it's almost 400 years before the Israelites leave Egypt and take his bones out finally to the promised land. And it's a long journey. It's a 40-year journey. On top of that, before they finally take the bones of Joseph and take him into the promised land, God made a promise. God delivered, even though there was turmoil of man in between. And so when they gave the instructions concerning his bones, he said, don't leave me behind in this foreign land. Take me up to the promised land with you, even though I won't be alive to see it. You ever, have you ever seen a long road that has, that's just tree-lined with these gigantic live oaks, and there's just shade as long as you can see, and it looks, you want to take a picture because it should be on your, on your screensaver, that as you're looking down, and you usually don't realize that whoever planted those trees never saw what you see. They had to plant those trees knowing somebody else was going to appreciate the shade. They would never see what you see. They were planting for the next generation. And so we have to be willing to plant seeds that are going to be part of a hundredfold harvest that we may not be alive to partake in the harvest. But we still have to plant the seeds. Because if we, the best time to plant those trees was a hundred years ago. The second best time to plant those trees is today. And so make sure we're planting those seeds because that's how we generate generational faith. And so we've seen the powerful faith from God that he wanted in his story through four men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But what's interesting is Joseph isn't the one that blesses the thousands of generations. It's actually Jacob had another son, Judah. And it's from Judah that we receive generations later, the Lion of Judah, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so Abraham had two sons. One of them was part of the chosen line of Jesus, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau, Jacob. One of them was part of the chosen line of Jesus. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them is mentioned in Hebrews as one of the patriarchs of faith because Joseph did live a remarkable life. But another, Judah, is in the line of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so, and in the middle of that whole line, there's people that aren't remarkable, according to the Bible, but they carried on the faith from generation to generation. There's even generations where people seem terrible, but God is good. And he redeems the generations as you carry on. Our goal, our job, is to be a good generation in the lineage from who came before and who's coming ahead of us. And like the song said earlier, maybe a thousand years. In Deuteronomy 6.1, it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you, you and your son and your grandson, 
all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. The next verse, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That's the Shema. The Jewish people are supposed to pray that Shema all the time. Because what is it doing? It's reminding them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, the next generation, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, a frontlets, as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Talk about these things with your children. And then, if you, in Boca Raton, if you go up to a house, there's a little thing on the door, and other places as well, but there's a strong Jewish community in Boca Raton. And when you walk up to a Jewish household, many times you'll see what is called a mezuzah. And the mezuzah is right there. It's a little crooked. And a lot of times, the Jewish people got that mezuzah from their grandmother at their wedding. And after generations of generations of getting a mezuzah at a wedding, a lot of times they may not even know what's in it. But what's in the mezuzah is the Shema. It's, it's exactly what it says here in Deuteronomy. Put this on the doorposts of your house. Put what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Those are the words that are rolled up in a scroll in Hebrew, tucked into the mezuzah, so that when you walk in the house, there's a mark that says, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. And so, so they're passing it on to the generations. But we need to do a better job to make sure we explain what we're passing on to the generations. So that we're not just having the thing that grandma gave me to put on this doorpost, but literally that we, like my daughter, praying in the car for daddy's car not to run out of gas, she experienced her faith, her living faith coming alive. And so, my children each have a life verse. And so my oldest daughter, Madeline, her life verse is Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9 says, Man makes plans, but the Lord directs his steps. My middle daughter, Samantha, the, the warrior prayer, prayer warrior, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's Jeremiah 29.11. And my son Jake, his verse is, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that. Jesus is saying, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We need to receive it that way. We need to go, oh yeah. Like, not that, wow, this is going to be a really tough one for Jesus. I don't know if he can pull it off. This isn't a comic book. This is Jesus Christ. He will pull it off. God delivers god delivers and so if i'm going to have an impact on the next generation and the generation after that 
I have to live a life that looks different than the, most of the other lives. I have to live a life that looks transformed, not conformed. When everybody else is telling me to be sad, I have to be glad. I have to be happy. I have to see something different. I have to be able to see into the future that they don't see, right? And so it says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You literally get to be walking proof for God if you're transformed. But if you're conformed, you look like everybody else. The hopeless, faithless generation that is around us. But we can choose and we have to choose to look different. Now, if you watch me for 24 hours, like maybe I was a special person and TMZ's tracking me down, they're going to see me conformed. They're going to see me looking a lot like the rest of the world. I might be mad in traffic. I might say something inappropriate to a friend. I might be mad at my wife. It could happen. Rarely does it happen, but it could happen. And so in that, and I could lie in front of all of you. That could happen too. And so, but in this, when you think about this, I want to be more transformed. I want to be, if TMZ watches me and they show the whole film, they're going to see way more transformed than they see conformed. They're going to see a life that looks different than the other lives they've been tracking the last week. They're going to say, you know what? There's something weird about this guy. And maybe on a good day, they see me do nothing wrong. That would be awesome. And so, but I am trying to live a life that is more transformed than conformed. And I'm telling you right now, after 23 years of walking with Jesus, my, lot, my days look a lot more transformed than they did 23 years ago. They looked very conformed when Jesus found me. And so, I am aware of my many challenges that we face in the world today, and I praise God he has me in the palm of his hand. And so, as we move through the news channels, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. It doesn't matter which year it is. 24 hours of news are going to give us 24 hours of reasons we should worry. And so, listen, if you want to be conformed, tune in and just go with it, right? They are going to conform you and tell you what to worry about. I'm saying faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Turn off the TV, get into your Bible, chew on it, learn. Ask God the tough questions. We've all got questions for God. Ask him the tough questions. Ask him the questions that, he doesn't, that you don't know the answers to. Ask him, how is this ever going to work out? We have fear and doubt. But we also have the opportunity to plant seeds of faith. Too many times we think as, a, as Christians we don't have fear and we don't get conformed. But I'm here to sadly tell you, I see a lot of conformed people and I see a lot of people that are fearful. And I call them brothers and sisters in the faith. Sometimes I see the guy in the mirror and he's fearful and he's got doubts. However, there's one the Lord, God, is one. And he, according to Abraham, is able to even raise my son from the dead if that's the way it needs to be. And so we need to remember that we have God. And that when we plant seeds, he promises us a return, a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. So keep planting seeds of faith.
Because when you plant a seed, for so long you don't see trees, you don't see vegetables, you don't see fruit. If you plant a seed today and study where you planted it, what do you see? Dirt. And you're going to see dirt for a while. And then one day, if you keep watching, you see the dirt move. And you're going to be so excited because the dirt moved. But there's still nothing to eat. Right? There's still nothing to get shade under. There's just a little, little sprout. But over time, over time, that tree is going to grow. The fruit is going to come. The harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. Imagine a world where everyone shares this hope of eternal glory and prays to God our Father and expects His will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Imagine that. For we know from Romans 8, 28, that all things work for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And, and as we wrap up, I was, I was going to go to Psalm 37 in the middle of it, but at first I'm going to go to the Psalm, Psalm 37 to start because I think it is so appropriate for where we are right now. And as the world like no other time, is able to tell us whether we're on a channel, whether we're on a feed, whether we're on a whatever we're looking at. We're all looking at something all day long, and we're being told, woe is me, it's so bad, it's so bad. And so here's what happens. This is what the Psalm of David in Psalm 37, David says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Then, and this is where I wanted to finish with today, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. If your life is good, if your life is faith-filled, and if you are living to give the next generation, make sure that fruit is better than the tree it came from, then you're realizing that you're not the subject. The fruit's not the subject. The tree's not the subject. The vine, Jesus Christ, is the subject. God is the subject. The Holy Spirit is the subject. They're working in us. They're working through us. They're doing it. And so let's pray. Father God, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we're so thankful that we can. We're so thankful that we can be in your presence, in your throne room, seeking grace, seeking mercy, and receiving it again and again and again. And Father, I pray that as ambassadors for your Son, Jesus Christ, we would bring more people into your throne room day by day. And that we would spend more time in your throne room day by day. And that we would hear you better because while we're in your throne room, we are in your word. And so Father, we want to be a great generation serving you, glorifying you, and doing everything we can all day, every day to make you smile. So, Father, we pray that you smile upon us this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.